Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I also want to remind you, if you perhaps have forgotten or maybe don't know, we have uh, lunch after service today that we would love to share together with you, our Sunday supper. And I believe the team has prepared baked potatoes uh, for all of us, a baked potato bar. And so please join us after the service, uh, especially if you don't have any lunch plans. And even if you do, cancel them uh, and join us. We'd love to be able to be in community together with you. While we are having that lunch, I will also be leading a class, one of our foundations classes, a brief uh, lecture and Q&A time learning about theology. Specifically, we're going to focus on the doctrine of the image of God. Uh, how has God made us unique, distinct from the animals and the rest of creation? How has God invested us uniquely with dignity? All people being made in the image of God. And it's something we especially uh, find helpful to consider as we move in the direction of Black History Month, which we will celebrate together as a a church, remembering the dignity of all people, including those who historically have been denied that very recognition. And so we want to uh, learn to love and learn to worship through that class. So come on out for the class. That'll be upstairs. Uh, Lunch will be downstairs. What you can do is grab quickly a, a baked potato and run upstairs. And you can kill both birds uh, with one stone. And uh, please uh, come on out and uh, we'll learn together. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time. We pray your blessing upon these next minutes together. We pray that you would meet us personally. Personally, that every person here because of the workings of your Holy Spirit, will have some sense, because of your word, that God has met me, that God was present with me, God spoke to my heart. And we know that when you speak, you give life, so please give life to our mortal bodies, to our souls, uh, to whatever needs we might have, especially whatever deadness might remain within us, in our community, in our neighborhood, our city, our nation, our So Jesus, come and glorify yourself in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How can we grow? How can we grow in health, in relationships, in fruitfulness as a church? More specifically, in what particular ways is God calling us to focus our mission over the next 12 to 18 months in our community? That's the big question. That's a big question. That's the big question that we are seeking to answer together over the next few months. And it's an important thing to address because we, our church, our community, find ourselves right now in a season of transition and change. Well, in what way, you might say, whether if you're new to our church or if you are a longtime member, in what ways do we find ourselves today in a season of change and transition? Well, first, a lot of you are new to our church. We notice you because we're a church that delights in seeing new people, neighbors, friends being brought not only to a church community, if you're someone looking for a church home, but also to see people brought to Jesus. If perhaps you're someone who's been exploring who he might be, asking big questions about God and faith and life. 
But maybe you've been coming out week to week or month to month or once in a while, but perhaps you find yourself amongst the folks that aren't yet quite totally plugged in, plugged into relationships or plugged into different parts of our ministry. Maybe you do identify with this church in some way, but you know well in your hearts that you don't feel known here. We know that too. We don't know you as well as we want to. And we want to. Others of you in this church perhaps feel a little bit tired. Not only from the trials and challenges of life, life can be full and busy, whatever walk of life you might be in here in Washington, D.C. But some of you have told me, told our leaders specifically, that you do feel weak and worn. You've been serving the ministries of the church a lot, and for some of you, for a long time. And perhaps your energy reserves might be running a little bit lower than you might like, than you might be more comfortable with, than you might be comfortable with. And part of that we're coming to acknowledge might be because perhaps we may be doing too much for the size of our church. Of course, the gospel calls us to love and to serve sacrificially and generously, but are we doing so together effectively and smartly and healthily and sustainably for the long haul? So we know we may need to implement some more focus in our ministries, in our programming. Some of that exhaustion that some of you might feel also might be not just because of activity, but because of loss, specifically loss of friendships. We know that some of you have said more goodbyes to people that are near and dear to your hearts in the last year or so than maybe you care to admit. Or maybe it's been on your heart. Maybe you've lamented quietly, but you haven't quite named it. Maybe you've been a part of this church community and you haven't yet heard it named. I want to name it. That's hard to see friends move. Of course, for good, exciting reasons, taking new calls, being called into marriage, being called into new lines of work, new cities, even new churches. But we've noticed, as some of you have, that a number of our veteran members have moved on and we've said goodbye to them as well. Some who have been with us since the very beginning of our church. As we've mentioned in the recent past, that's impacted some of our finances, but most importantly, that's impacted our hearts. The loss of longtime brothers and sisters. I feel it. I feel it. I know some of you do But not all of the change that we've been seeing recently has been lost. Some of it has been gained. For instance, with our leadership team. You might know that over the last two years, we've hired wonderful new ministry staff, Joanna and Justin, Joanna Park, Amy, Gula. In that time, we also hired our assistant pastor, Yancey. We also ordained our first ever ruling elder in Steve. We also created a new role and raised up our first pair of shepherdesses. And that's already a long list of new leadership. And it's a fast-paced rate of bringing on new leaders and not a lot of time to learn exactly how we might best utilize these wonderful gifts from God. And to deploy these dear brothers and sisters in the most effective and fruitful way. We're excited for the team that God has blessed us with, but we're still learning exactly how to best steward them. It's true of one of our physical resources as well, and that's this building. We moved into this church space about one year ago, a little bit more than a year, you may know, and it's been a huge blessing, and it's been a huge change. Uh, The truth is, we don't exactly know how this move has impacted the life of our church, for better or for worse. Any move, as you know, moving from an apartment to another apartment, or from a home to a home, can bring about a lot of change, sometimes even trauma. You don't know exactly where you belong. You don't know if that home is really yours. It's no different 
for a church community? How has our move to this building impacted our community and mission? What new ministry opportunities here in Petworth and specifically on this local block are presented before us that are yet underexplored? These are questions that we don't actually have answers to as relates to our move into this building. And speaking of buildings, we were previously in a building that was owned by Mount Rona Missionary Baptist Church there for four plus years. And as we've looked back upon those years, one thing that we've noticed is that from 2014 to 2017, for about three to four years, our all-consuming focus was on the question, should we or should we not buy that building? It was a question that we didn't go after by choice. It was brought to us by Providence as the church that we were renting suddenly became available for purchase. We considered big questions about the future of this mission and the community that we were building and pros and cons of owning real estate and these massive but time-intensive inquiries that we needed to investigate and pray over. And that was all-consuming. In the midst of that, of course, vibrant gospel ministry continued and people came to know Jesus for the first time, some of you included. People grew in their faith. People exercised their gifts, loved and served one another. You did. And loved and served our neighbors and neighborhood. You did. We praise God for it. Even in the midst of that season, wonderful fruit, incredible work of ministry. And yet it was an all-consuming, encompassing question during that period. We remain committed to the same basic mission to build a gospel community that's intentionally spiritually diverse, cross-cultural, neighborhood-centered, for the good of our neighbors and the glory of Jesus Christ in Columbia Heights, Mount Pleasant, Adams, Morgan, Petworth, and beyond. But with all the rapid change and transition that we've been facing, in many respects, we only now have had the chance to exhale. Only now have had the chance to take inventory and to even raise that exciting question that's full of possibilities, that question that I raised at the beginning here moments ago. How can we grow in health, relationships, and fruitfulness of a church as a church In what particular ways is God calling us to focus that grand mission over the next 12 to 18 months? Over the last couple of years, we really haven't had a chance to ask that question. That chance is now. By God's grace, we have an opportunity to renew the life and sense of calling of Grace Meridian Hill. And today we're presenting before you what we've begun to call in our leadership conversations the Renew Initiative. Because we see a wonderful opportunity, even a sense of obligation, to hunker down together, to put our heads and hearts together, to call on God and to renew our commitment to what God might have for us here in this church and in this neighborhood. It's a season of discernment, of deliberation, and of decision-making over the next two or three months. So what exactly does that mean in concrete terms then? What does this Renew initiative look like? Well, here's what we'd like to do. A couple of things. First... We need your wisdom. We need your insight into what God has been doing and into what God might be calling us to do. We want to invite your input, ask you to help us assess the current and future life of our community. 
Because we as leaders want to acknowledge that we are going to be prone to having blind spots. We don't see everything. We don't witness every way that God is working. We don't witness every way that the ministry of the church is not working. We need your feedback in this season. And so we want to meet with you from the top to the bottom of the community, from the left to the right, and every space in between. And we want to invite your honesty and your insight. Next week, we're going to be handing to you a survey that you'll be able to fill out in real time, really quickly, something that we don't want to take up too much time of yours, nor to clutter your inbox with, but something that'll be handed to you, a survey about what your experience of serving in this church has been like. We want to hear how that's been for you. We also want to call a congregational meeting in several weeks' time, the first Sunday of March, You'll hear more about these details, but we want to fill this room with you and we'll lead you in a set of questions that will just begin to probe your heart. Again, looking back and saying, what, what's been good so far? What hasn't been? Looking forward, saying, what might God be calling us to do? And again, to invite your honesty and your insight. We want to sit down with ministry team leaders and group leaders and give a little special time with those who have been called to lay leadership in this church, those who have invested much in guiding the different ministries and ask those same kinds of questions. We want to sit with our staff as well, who have a unique perspective on things, and ask those kinds of questions. And we want to say, of course, even if you're brand new to the church, that you too can be a contributor to this renewed process. Sometimes you will have the most objective eyes. You'll say, I just stepped in here a month ago, two months ago, six months ago. I don't know everything, but this is what I see. This is what my experience has been walking in those double glass doors. Can I give you some feedback? We need your help as well. And we believe every single one of you can be a very significant contributor to this process because we believe that the Holy Spirit can and will speak through you. And of course, that means inviting you and engaging you to be prayerful throughout this process. As members of our community, I want to remind you again to please engage and use those 40 days of prayer. We got the pamphlets and booklets on the big table. We're praying as a church. We're about a little under two weeks in. It's not too late to jump in. Just ways to pray about different aspects of the mission and the vision of the church. We kicked that off primarily to encourage you to start the new year in covenant renewal, uh, sort of reflecting on the past and looking to the future and giving yourself in a new way to Jesus. Whoever knew that in God's providence, those prayers now might be utilized communally as a way for the whole church in this renewed season to seek covenant renewal together. Let's be praying, not just talking. Secondly, we need not only your wisdom, you as a membership, but we are also going to be making some decisions through deliberations and prayer as a leadership. We'll be committing ourselves to prayer and to fasting. Leaders, I didn't mention the fasting part yet. We'll talk about that some more. We're going to be hiring a ministry coach, a professional that's going to help us sort through questions that we have. A significant meeting that we're going to have on the, sec- the 18th of February that we'd love for you to be praying for. A series of meetings and conversations leading, Lord willing, to some decisions that will include your input, vitally including your input. Thirdly, we want to foster greater financial health in this season of our church because the spiritual health and ministry capacity of our church will always be tied to the financial health of this church. Many of you gave so sacrificially and generously in this last December And we're so grateful for that. I hope you continue to be encouraged by the way in which God met the church's needs through your kindness and through your faith and the ways in which you are continuing to give and the ways in which every single one of you, big amounts and even the smallest amounts given by faith, knowing that you are delighting the heart of your heavenly Father. You are giving and we want to steward those gifts and those resources well. And so we want to do that by doing several things, by assessing our budget to make sure that it's aligned with the ministry that we feel God is actually calling us to. 
That means making some changes. We'd actually like to relieve some immediate pressure from our budget by making some immediate minor cuts and some spending freezes just to give us a little bit more breathing room to alleviate some of that pressure. We also want to be able to take a good look at our budget commitments so that we might begin to plan even now for the next budget year, which begins in July. But the process of writing that budget starts in March and April and May, and decisions need to be made in that time. And so we want to start planning in that regard. We also right now want to acknowledge that some of you may be feeling some giving crisis fatigue. The way in which our church has found itself in this rhythm of every six months and certainly at the end of each calendar year, sort of calling everyone with great urgency to give and give as we just did a few weeks ago. And of course, incredible end of year giving campaigns are incredibly rewarding, especially when you come through, when God comes through. But that also leads to a lot of weariness. And here's how you, how we together can help to prevent that. By together planning together. By giving consistently weekly and monthly so that we as a church might be able to plan our ministry in the future more effectively. Understanding that the tithes and offerings, for example, that we collect even over the first three months of this calendar year are going to impact how we're able to plan in the coming months, in the coming year. Uh, We want to invite you to give on a weekly and monthly basis as much as you're able to, and we want to make that easier for you, though, and make that more joyful for you by keeping you more informed in our finances. Again, not just for numbers' sake, but as one form of a barometer of the church's health's sake. Keep you informed, communicate with you better. Equip you knowing that for a lot of us, uh, financial giving in a church setting or in any setting is brand new and maybe even a little bit awkward. But we're committed to walking with you, not just demanding of you. That's not the dynamic we want, but to walk alongside you as brothers and sisters together who are enjoying the riches of the generosity of Christ. And fourthly and lastly, we're devoting ourselves to our staff during this season, this Renew initiative. We're so blessed to have such a great team of brothers and sisters, and we're entering into a a season of training and equipping and dialogue, talking about how we can function better as a team, how we can create more effective ministry systems, how we can better support and encourage you, our members, so that your service to Christ and the church might be a joy and not a burden. We want to know how to do that better, and your feedback on this part will be important as well. So next week, fill out those surveys. And I myself want to be able to help lead and manage. I'm not the only person leading this process, but I want to grow as a leader, as a manager, and so I'll be seeking out some ministry and executive coaching and mentoring throughout this process because we want to serve you well. We want to walk with you, do this collaboratively, and see how God might lead us into a new chapter, a new season, even a new beginning in the story of Grace Meridian Hill. We'll be hearing more about this in a follow-up email and a series of different announcements, but we would love to invite you to be praying, to be chit-chatting about it, to be bringing about energy and faith. Because actually, what we really most need in this time is God. Not human efforts, deliberations, human wisdom. We need the help of God. And in that respect, I would love to pause for just one moment. We haven't even gotten to the sermon yet, folks. (laughs) Pause for one moment to pray. That wasn't a threat. That was encouragement, by the way. (laughs) Let's pray for a second. Jesus, we're bringing all of this to you. It's an exciting thing what you have in store for us, but we need your help. So guide our steps. Anything that was even laid out right now that was not of you or that needs a course correction, even our tentative plan so far, Jesus, please correct us. We have no interest in walking in accordance with our own smarts or wisdom or decisions. 
We want to follow you. And we trust that you will give us guidance through the life of the body of Christ. Every person here. So we pray that people would be fully engaged out of love for you and love for the church, that people would love to give input, to pray. So Jesus, please come and send your spirit upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And here's one more thing that will be taking place right here in this pulpit. One more thing. Today, we're starting a new sermon series, and it's called One Another. Because we want to get back to the basics of relationships in Christian community. We're eight years in. We just celebrated our eighth anniversary. And after that amount of time, it's easy for any organization, including a church, just to start operating on autopilot, as they say. To just sort of function on the level of programs without actually bearing our hearts or bearing one another's burdens. Uh, To sort of notice new people but not really welcome them. To notice wounds and not really heal them. What does it mean for us to be a church that faces one another? Close to 60 times in the New Testament, we find a Greek word That's typically translated one another or each other. It's an interesting word. It takes the word other and it sort of doubles it up. So it's other and other. In other words, it's the dynamic when you have two others that belong to one another. And so you hear again and again and again different comments and exhortations and promises that are made in the Bible that sound like this. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Welcome one another. Instruct one another, serve one another, carry the burdens of one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, bear with one another, encourage one another, don't grumble against one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, offer hospitality to one another, and many, many more. And this just seems so powerfully relevant to the life of our church, doesn't it? Because like I said, some of you are still finding your ways into our church community Some of you have been here, and yet some of you have also said, I'm here and I've been here, but I don't know anyone, and no one knows me. We're not that big of a church community, look around. Those kinds of comments should not be. No one here should be a stranger. Everyone, at least on some level, should be known. It's easy to get caught up in programs and ministries and meetings and decisions. So over the next nine weeks, even as we are moving through our Renew initiative, Pastor Yancey and I will be teaching, preaching, reminding you how much God loves you and calls you to belong to him by his grace. And then how out of the strength and security of that love, God calls us then to face one another. God calls us to know and be known by one another, to love one another, and to be loved by one another. Let's get back to the basics of relationships and community. Starting with this first sermon, just a few minutes, on this phrase, spur one another. You find that in verse 24 of this passage we're looking at together, where it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Spur one another on. You know, the word that's used there, spur, actually in the ancient language is often used with a negative sense, kind of like irritate, spur, or provoke. But obviously here in this case, it's used in a positive sense, like stir up or promote, or stimulate, or catalyze what? Deeper, richer faith in Christ. Love for your brothers and sisters. Good deeds towards neighbors in the local community. Because the Bible acknowledges that the tendency of all of our hearts is to drift, or to become dull, or to harden over. Maybe some of you here are here today feeling hard in your heart towards God. This word is often even used to indicate a kind of explosion or an outburst 
Uh, it describes sort of the impact that we can have in one another's lives with an explosion of love, with an explosion of joy, with an explosion of affection or of hope that we can share with each other in order to jumpstart faith, to jumpstart love, to jumpstart good deeds for our neighbors. And the thing that's implied in all of this, of course, is what? We need a jumpstarting. We need one another to plug in those jumper cables to their battery and to plug it into yours to get us running together. Dear friends, don't you know we need help? We need each other. Counselor and author Tim Lane has written this, the most dangerous aspect of your relationships is not your weakness, but your delusions of strength. Self-reliance is almost always a component of a bad relationship. And self-reliance, self-sufficiency, I'm here, but I don't really need you. I'm here to maybe get something out of this time, but I'm not really here because I'm that needy. Maybe you are, but I'm okay. Self-reliance in a church community is also always a component of a bad relationship in community. So this is an invitation to a, an honest sense of our need, weakness. Here's a key question to start us off. Do you know you need help others? Do you know you need help from others in order to survive and to thrive in the Christian life? Do you know, do you know you need help from others in order to survive and thrive in the Christian life? But let me back up here for a second and give you a little bit more of the context of this passage. It actually starts off here with two promises, two promises you have to pay attention to. In verse 19, we're told, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. So what's the first promise? We have confidence to enter into the presence of God because of Jesus. Because sinful people can't bear the presence or be in the presence of a holy God. We are disqualified from relationship with the God of the universe. And here the writer of the Hebrews is evoking imagery from the physical temple that we read about in the Old Testament. That was the physical house where people would come to meet with or commune with the God of the universe. There was a curtain there that physically represented, symbolized, that you kind of needed to go through a doorway. No one could just waltz into God's presence. We know that even in our human relationships. A person of prominence, maybe someone in your field, maybe a high-ranking official, maybe a rock star or professional athlete that you wish you could just get 30 seconds with, Chances are you can't just knock on their door and waltz right up to them. You need access. Someone needs to give that to you, namely them. How much more so is that the case with the living God? Can't just waltz right into his presence. We need his invitation, especially when we spent all our lives offending him with our selfishness and our indifference towards him. Don't you know some of our greatest offenses towards God is an act shaking our fists against him. Some of you might say, gosh, I don't think I've really done anything against God. I don't even think about him. Apathy is the worst offense to someone who has blessed you so. Someone who has given you everything in your life, every good thing that comes from him, and yet you have not acknowledged him. Deep offense. The self-centeredness of our hearts, which could only be cured and paid for by the blood of Jesus. We see that phrase there, the blood of Jesus, referring to Christ's death on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sin and selfishness. And through him, his broken body, making a way, a doorway into the very presence of God, the most holy place. 
There was that physical curtain I just mentioned, and we're told in the book of Matthew that when Christ died symbolically for eyes to see, God ripped the curtain in the temple to show us in a visible way what had just happened. The gates were opened up. You can come into God's presence, know him, love him, hear from him, commune with him, have a relationship with him. Can you imagine it? You should. This is what it means to know God through Christ. And this is the promise. You can come into his presence, not trembling, not with insecurity, not with doubt, not with, with, with a, a, a sense of, gosh, he's opening the door, but I know he doesn't really want me there. We have confidence and assurance that God loves to be with you. He even gave his son in order to make that happen. And the second promise that we have here is found in verse 20. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, which refers to Jesus, who's described as a priest. The priest, of course, is the one who brings the sacrifice, which if Jesus is the priest, the sacrifice we need is himself. Jesus is the priest who brings himself on behalf of us to God. In other words, he's the one that labors day and night. Persuading and re-persuading out of love the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to again honor his blood. That our sins would be forgiven not just for a moment but for all time. That we would have eternal relationship with him. And eternal life. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our security before our God. And this is what God has brought us into through Christ. And this is what this passage is reminding us of. These two promises. We have confidence to enter into God's presence through Christ. And secondly, we have in Christ a great high priest. And therefore, we're told, we have three invitations. Since, and since, and since these things are true, therefore, let us, number one, draw near to God with assurance. Will you come near to God? Because he has made a way for you to come with confidence. You've been cleansed of your sins. You've been made perfect in the eyes of God by the sacrifice of Christ. You not only can have access into God's presence, now because of Jesus' blood, you have a right to be in the presence of God. Claim that right. Draw near to your God through the blood of Jesus. No matter how badly you failed, no matter how frail your faith, God cannot, he will not turn you away. That's good news. So draw near to your God. Secondly, we're told, let us hold unswervingly to hope. Hope that things won't stay like this, broken as they are forever. Hope that God won't change his mind on his promises Hope in Christ, who forever lives to intercede for us, praying for you and me. Hold on to hope. And thirdly, in light of all that Christ has accomplished for us, gaining for us confidence to enter into God's presence, serving as our priest. Thirdly, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Practically, what does this all mean? Spur one another on how, first of all, by not neglecting, giving, not giving up, not neglecting, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We need each other. We need to be in relationship with one another. In the original context of this letter, the Christians that were being written to were facing persecution. 
They needed to band together to encourage each other for another day, but some of them were also just drifting in their hearts. They needed that provoking, that uh, catalyzing, that stirring up of their hearts with the promises of God. Dear friends, we need to be meeting together. That begins here in our Sunday worship gathering. Uh, It also includes, though, other forms of being in community where God's story and his promises are being rehearsed again and again and again. Because we need to be reminded that these things are true. When I've really screwed up, I need you to tell me, don't you know God has forgiven you? Because me telling it to myself in my head is never enough. If life just feels like it's going over the cliff, Sometimes you need someone to come over and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, don't you know God is for you and with you? You need that kind of encouragement, that kind of faithful provocation to believe the promises of God. Because we will not believe them when we're alone. And some of us have tested this, haven't we? Try to live the Christian life in isolation from others. Wondering why your faith might falter or dim, especially when times are hard. Don't you know, friends, you cannot thrive and grow in your faith apart from Christian community. But maybe it's more important to word that more positively. It's only when we're in relationship with each other. It's only when we're gathered together to worship that we really actually find what we need to grow in our faith and life in Christ. And so we need to be here. We need to be here on Sunday morning. I want to call you all to make new fresh commitments this year uh, to as best as you can to be a part of our gathered corporate worship on Sunday mornings. Uh, Some of you have a lot of travel for work Some of you are simply exhausted. You have a lot of challenging demands on your calendars and on your minds and hearts. I know there's a lot to talk through and to exercise in terms of wisdom. And this is certainly not something that's intended to just guilt you into action. But it's a joyful invitation from the very word of God. Will you set aside time prioritizing the gathering of God's people every Sunday morning? Not just because you have to, but because you want to, because you know you need it. Because it's a joy to be in the fellowship of God's people and to be in his presence. What would it look like for you if you do need to travel on the weekends, even to prioritize your schedule in such a way where you can come back by Sunday morning to be back together? What would it look like for you to arrange and almost budget your energy in such a way that maybe... Coming back from wherever you're out on Saturday night in a way where you're able to get rest so that you're fresh and able to engage people and most especially engage God on Sunday morning. You need to understand, friends, if a person attends a worship service like ours for about one and a half hours every Sunday morning, uh, that's still only 1.3% of your waking hours in the whole week. 1.3%. Of your total time where we're constantly being shaped and formed by the promises of the world. We're constantly being told a different story about what's important in life. Uh, we're constantly being shaped about how you, you, you need to be the one to make life happen by your own smarts and gifts and wisdom. Uh, but you are being shaped and formed. And I don't say this just to dog on the things of the world which have loads of wisdom and benefit for all of us to be sure. But it's in a gathering like this that we are brought back to gospel sanity in an insane world. Where we need to be rearranged again about what's most important in life. Where we need to be reminded that God is with me even when it hurts. Where we need to be reminded that my sins are forgiven even when my conscience feels crushed. Where we need to believe that my brothers and sisters are my family forever even when they feel awkward. Or even when they treat me like an enemy. We go through that hard slog of learning to repent and forgive and to love all over again. 
My friends, you'll never do it unless you're face to face in a space like this. A call to meet with one another, not only on Sunday mornings, but also in membership in the church, come to the seminar this Saturday in small groups, because you can be in a big setting like this and still it be hard to connect with other people. What do you need to do? You need to be in a smaller unit. That's what our neighborhood groups are for. That's what a mom's group is for. That's what prayer triads are for. These are ways for you to be able to sit down and and tell the truth about how you're really doing. You ever get tired of being asked how you're doing? You say fine and you know you just lied. (laughs) You ever get tired of that? How about you get in a space where you can actually tell the truth? I'm not saying you should lie and just say, fine, you know what I'm saying. Get in a space where people can know, follow up with, call you out on the real things of your heart and your life. And the passage here says not only that we need to be meeting together, but in meeting together, what we need to be doing is encouraging one another. Encouragement can give life, can't it? Larry Crabb, a Christian author and counselor, wrote so helpfully that a well-timed word has the power to urge a runner to finish the race, to rekindle hope when despair has set in, to spark a bit of warmth in an otherwise cold life, to trigger healthful self-evaluation in people who don't think much about their shortcomings, to renew confidence when problems have the upper hand. That's what a well-timed word can do. And when we encourage each other, when we're gathered together, what we're doing is we're giving each other strength for another day, for some of us, just for another moment. I was thinking about in high school as a swimmer, how we would, as a team, surround the pool when one of our breaststroke competitors would be going back and forth and pulling themselves out of the water, stroke by stroke by stroke, and we would kneel down in the water, get our faces as close as we could because they need to hear us underwater, submerged underwater, and we would cry out to them with each pull of their arms, pull, 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 encouraging to get to the wall and then on their turn to the next wall and then to the next wall and to the next wall until the race is finally done. Why? Why is that kind of encouragement so crucial? Because so many of us, all of us at one time or another, are tempted to quit. Why do we need encouragement? Because we're tempted to quit. Some of you today are tempted to quit. Tempted to quit on your marriage. Tempted to quit on believing that God can change your heart. Tempted to believe that it's worth fighting, tempted to stop believing that it's worth fighting against an addiction that's been terrorizing your soul and your relationships. Tempted to quit on God. You know how you don't quit? Someone comes up to you and says, hey, I noticed you says, hey, you want to watch the Super Bowl together? Hey, how are you really doing? Uh, recently, a, a close friend of mine uh, shot me a text. He lives in, a, in another state, uh, sort of a tough guy. And most days, we're just texting about NBA games, you know? <laughs> But last week on a day when I was personally struggling with discouragement, he texted me these words. I'm proud of the work you're doing at your church. And I was moved to tears. It reminded me of what the proverb says, how good is a timely word. The tongue has the power of life. You've experienced it, right? Maybe not necessarily in a church or in this church, but you know how powerful people's words can be to give you oxygen for one more leg of the race. You be that source of spiritual oxygen for another person in this room. You be that for each other. 
And again, encouragement doesn't simply mean saying nice and polite things to one another. It can mean that, but it means more than that. It means sort of seeking out where a person might be feeling the greatest fear or vulnerability and speaking into that. It means identifying where the person might most have needs. It doesn't mean making every conversation the most serious, heavy conversation in the world. That's a little intimidating too. But it does mean taking little baby steps as we ponder one another. Do you know that the very first word here in this verse, in verse 20, Four is actually, let me dig it up for you real quick, and let us consider how we may spur one another on. What it actually says in the original language there is let us consider for the spurring on of one another. The main verb there is actually consider. That means ponder. That means think about. That means fill your mind with other people. In other words, you can't encourage people well. Unless you watch them, listen to them, carry them in your heart. Uh, Notice their facial expressions. Uh, Notice their body language. What's burdening them? Hearing when they hesitate just a little bit when you ask them how they are. Hearing how, when you say how are they, they say, okay, I mean, yeah, okay. And you don't just walk on. Uh, You say, hey, you want to talk about it some more? Where you follow up when a person does open up their hearts, where you actually do pray for them when you say, I'll pray for you. Where you ask questions, asking for clarification, where you're an empathetic listener, being a mirror, sort of reflecting back to the person what they're feeling, sort of telling them again and again that you're listening, that you're engaging, that you're walking with them. Because friends, sometimes, as much as I'm saying about the power of encouraging words, sometimes the greatest encouragement is not just words, it's just the presence of a person. Knowing that you're not alone. Sometimes we don't know what to say, so we don't show up. Sometimes we need to forget what we're going to say, we need to just show up. In a person's home, by their side in the pews, on the quiet of the street, showing up and being present with them and letting them know through your presence that God has not forsaken them. God has invited us to draw near to one another. He really has. He's inviting us to do that because he's invited us into his own heart. This is where the promise that this whole passage rests on is so important. You have confidence to enter the most holy place of God because of the mercy of Christ. And so maybe your heart gets filled with overflowing mercy that you can actually enter into other people's lives. You can draw near to one another because God has allowed you to draw near to him. You can actually enter into each other's lives with care because God has let you into his life with confidence. God has torn down the curtain that separates us from him. By the grace of Christ, will we tear down the curtain that separates us from one another? We do that by spurring each other on to faith and love and good deeds in community, meeting together consistently, honestly, on Sundays and throughout the week, being in relationship with each other. You cannot one another together if you're never together. God calls us to spur one another on, meeting and encouraging, even as God in Christ has encouraged us. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and love all that you've been for us. Just turn our hearts outward now and show us how to live in light of your love in the presence of one another. It's not a to-do list that you've given us. You've just called us to open wide our hearts and to give in accordance with what we've been given. Help us to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.
is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid bound, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of blood, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scored by the question and answer. For the sake of time, we're going to skip over that, but I'd love to invite you to ask questions or to talk more in community about what it looks like to live in family, in fellowship, in community like this together. Let's not give up meeting together, but let's encourage each other, all right? And by the way, if you do want a good resource and book on this theme of encouragement, it's a book I've had for a long time. I read it again this past week. It is just so good. I have to commend it to you. It's called Encouragement. Uh The Encouragement, the Key to Caring. It's written by Larry Crabb and Dan Allender, uh, two incredible counselors and authors and teachers. And so um, it's a thin book. Everyone loves thin books. I do too, right? A thin book, uh, both richly biblical and very practical with loads of examples and illustrations from real life. So please, if you want to grow in this area of encouragement and interpersonal ministry, uh, please pick up that book and would love for you to do that. Let's take communion. This is such a wonderful application of this passage. Let us draw near to God with full assurance of faith, having our conscience cleansed by the blood of Jesus and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's do that together. Letting God through this table strengthen your confidence that Christ really has made a way for you to 
be in the presence of God, that Christ really has paid for all of your sins, that Christ really has brought you near to God. This bread and this wine gives us that assurance because Jesus has died for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we do ask that you would come and bless this bread and this wine, juice, Jesus, this stuff that you said you would bless and make effectual in our souls if we would unite them by faith, which means we believe the gospel and we eat and drink. You're going to be here.